And then you get to Hannibal and he is like clean. His hair is combed back. He's standing like with impeccable posture. He's got all these like charcoal drawings he's done of Florence. And he's like, good morning. That was my, that was my, one of my notes is just confirmed. Good posture is creepy. Hey, welcome to your inner childhood idiot. This is the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they're any good. My name is DJ. And my name's Damon. We are watching today Silence of the Lambs. Or um, as the Spanish say, hold on real quick. Google translate.google.com. Say Silencio de las Corderas. Ah, oh, God. When you, when you have to when you have to pause it. to laugh. And then you have to cut it out like we we obviously did in post. That's what, when you know a joke was worth it. <laughs> I thought my Googling would be faster, but my default translate is on Polish. And it just... What were you doing with the Polish? Well, I had some Polish friends. And you wanted and so to impress when them? I, when, I, when I bookmarked the page, that's uh, 10 years ago or whatever, that's... What I was using. Well, if you lived in a sitcom, it would be that uh, Lauren had business associates um, from Warsaw coming to the house, but she had accidentally led them on right. into thinking that you were Polish, and so you were like, right. you had like your phone under the table, and you were like trying to get had to pretend, get Polish in there, yeah, in order to, for her to get the so, sale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, it was the big um, magazine redesign. Um, I have um. I, an update for you. Um, I have never seen. I have never. Oh, seen thank you for the for the update. I do appreciate that you every every uh, fortnight you text me to to let me know what movies you still haven't seen. <laughs> it's update. a long list. <laughs> you know what's weird is like I I feel like I've I've seen a lot of movies. Like I'm not like a um you know a, a film student or anything like that. Someone who's like immersed in film, but I've watched a lot of movies, and I still haven't seen most movies. Wow, interesting. First down. off, thank you for your bravery coming forward and saying that yeah. in this public right. forum. Yeah. Um, uh huh. But uh, you know, I appreciate your honesty. I have seen most movies. I just crossed into fifty-one percent last year. I was really proud of myself. And they stopped well making movies for me so that I could keep this pace going. So you catch up. Yeah, this is like the only time, I mean, I hope so. This might be the only time in history where you can actually start to make progress on the like sort of like watching shows and movies that you've been thinking about. Because even even during, you know, if, you're, if your job is, is on a lull or whatever, they're still making new things. But now they're not really making new things. Right. So you can just actually, the percentage goes up. This year you just but, have to uh, watch Unhinged and Tenet and you're caught up on the YouTube. And you're all good. Fuck it. And uh, Ted Ted Lasso. Oh, was that a movie or is that a show? I think it's a show. That ca- I'm kind of oh, shows okay, in fine. movies. I wouldn't. But okay. Anyway, we got. So dump. okay, let me let me see if uh, just through pop culture. This is a hard movie to step away from, even if you haven't actually seen it. Like me, a hard, I've I'm seen sorry, a hard movie it. to step away from. Like you can't really get away from it, even if oh, I see. Yeah, you haven't yeah, yeah. actually seen the movie. Like, yeah, it made it sound like I'm addicted to. <laughs> it sounded like it was holding you in a forced embrace. <laughs> but uh, so Jodie Foster plays a a, a detective of some sort, like she's a or FBI. FBI she's FBI. Trainee, yes. Okay. Oh, she's a trainee. Okay. 
And she is trying to catch a serial killer. And so she enlists the help of Anthony Hopkins, who is a captured serial killer. And she enlists his help to to get this other serial. That's all I know, really. I mean, I've seen nailed it. Let's uh, want to go to verdict. Uh, this this seems great and won't be transphobic at all. Uh, you're absolutely. There's right. no reason for this movie to what be transphobic. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? So you haven't seen it. Jerry I have Foster seen this movie so many times. Oh wait, what were you saying? That must be. Well, I was I was just naming people who are oh, okay. Jerry Foster, Anthony Hopkins. That's all I know. And the guy who plays Buffalo Bob, Flo Bob, <laughs> yeah, Buffalo, Buffalo Bill. Bob. Buffalo Bill. Um, I, I was like, surely it can't be Buffalo Bill because that's... That's already someone's name. That's already a thing. Buffalo Bob, um, though, was also... Wasn't he Howdy Doody's, like, friend? How old am I? <laughs> <laughs> when I used to watch Howdy Doody as a child... Uh, when my kids would watch Howdy Doody, uh, I uh, <laughs> I mean, what? I am also f- no. of 80s age. Um, Come on, fellow kids! How do you do? Or is it, how do you do, fellow how do you kids? Do fellow kids with this shirt, this is rock band. <laughs> so you've seen this. You're already your verdict is is made. You you've spent your time in DJ, chambers. I am a consummate professional. I would never claim to say my verdict is made. Okay. Um, good. Do you say that? Do you say verdict is made? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a lawyer, but yes. Um, uh, excuse me, uh, has a verdict been made, Foreman? Actually, that no, does sound, when you said not. it in that context, it sounded real. Have you come to a verdict? You come to a verdict. Have you come to Start, a verdict? Your yeah. Honor, <laughs> has a verdict come? <laughs> has a verdict been reached? That Now that's passive voice. Do you want to like make Don't it? Don't like it. Weak? You're going to get uh, those red marks on your paper. Um, Don't care for that. I have seen this movie so many times. Uh, this is one of those movies um, that me and my brother went through a weird phase um, when we were both um, layabouts and slugabeds living at home with our parents, where we would just watch Silence of the Lambs and watch uh, the very subpar uh, but very campy sequel, Hannibal, and then would watch Red Dragon, mm. and then me and Jason got into mm. the show, Hannibal, um, which... It has its moments. These, these things didn't come out that long ago, some of these sequels. By the way, you're talking about being a layabout. I mean, Hannibal was Hannibal what, like was more recent. Four but years but, ago. but uh, when we were at home, when we were both living at home, we watched a lot of uh, Silence of the Lambs. And then the quotes started to take on their own little uh, journey with me and Jason, where we would like to quote mm. uh, things. Even... Inconsequential lines such as closer, for example, that's something that Hannibal Lecter says at one point to someone else, to Clarice, closer, Um, and annoy our mother to no end because she didn't want us talking like fucking lunatics. Well, her name's Clarice. (laughs) Clarice closer, they called her. Um, We also like to quote in Hannibal, which is not a good movie, but enjoyable to watch. there's a weird trend where Hannibal just starts saying okie dokie to people um, <laughs> in the most threatening manner that Anthony Hopkins could muster. So it's just like, okie dokie. And it's like, oh, this guy's going to eat this guy. Um, <laughs> Why is that a thing? They I don't know, do? but he does it. Um, I was picturing Hannibal the TV show and he's like, okay, 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 okay. okay. And then you're like, and if it's the first season, you're like, what did he just say? 
put on the put on yeah. the closed captioning. Um, it's good for the audience. Uh, Hannibal is a show that Damon and I watched some of together yeah, when yeah. we were roommates, and. Mads Mickelson, who plays Hannibal Lecter in that show, we would call Mishmouth. <laughs> he has got him a mush mouth. It's hard to understand. I could not understand what he is. Um, I've also read the book, Silence of the Lambs, and um, okay. Red Dragon, and I've read Hannibal. And you have the leather jacket that came mm, with came the collector's with the edition. <laughs> yeah. It was, I, I thought it was a leather jacket for me, but I just found out it was like dust jackets for the book. So it was kind of like, <laughs> uh, I really spent a lot oh. on these books. Um, and, why would they oh, have wait, a removable leather, leather from, dust jacket is the other thing. This isn't leather from cows. <laughs> why do, <laughs> does leather usually have eyelashes? Um, <laughs> but I love um, this movie. Um and I've watched it a lot. Giving away, giving away the, the farm Sorry, there. My apologies. Um, but there is going to be probably some uh, discussion about trans issues. Yeah. Well, and I also want to talk about something just before we get And who into better to discuss them, by the movie than us? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to discuss just generally before we watch the movie. I kind of... Okay. So I understand somewhat just the general fascination uh, with... with serial killers because, and this is not, you know, this is fiction. It's based on a book, but there is like, was this the sort of the, I mean, was this the genesis of this current era of like being obsessed with serial killers or was it just part of the flow? Like for me, I get really, there's, I have a limit. Like I understand sort of the appeal of the sort of murder investigation and the, like, even when you get into like the, the real life things, there's some, it, like, I sort of understand the interest, but then there's, there's a line somewhere where it becomes glorification and it becomes like, there's this weird thing. And Hannibal, the series is really bad about this, about like the poetry of the murders <laughs> yeah. and like the artsiness. And the, like, some of that's just like, it's a really beautifully done show and they're sort of like playing, but it's like, I don't, really understand that mm-hmm. i like the poetry of the it's blood sort of like flying all over everyone's face yeah it's like a a warped and times 10 version of the like the sort of like poetic pe- people talking poetically about baseball that we talked about during field of dreams where you're like what are you talking i mean about? i i would often um i'm not even I know there are a lot of people that are really into true crime and like listening to podcasts yeah. about it. I'm very much on the cusp of that. Like, I, I think everyone is slightly interested in serial killers, maybe not in a Brian Fuller show running Hannibal type way, but there is this weird right. fascination because they are one, they're a lot more rare than the show Hannibal would have you believe. Like they're captioning right, serial right. killer every week. And like serial yeah. killers seem like they're a once in a generation type deal. Um, and, I, but I would get trapped in Wikipedia vortexes reading about, you know, Ricky Ramirez just as much as the next person. Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I sort of, and this is just like, people are into different things. So I can appreciate Some that. But there is like, killing. but there, yeah, well, right. But I mean, like, even there's, there's a, a thing where you're just like, it's fascinating because you're like, how could someone, you know, be so evil and, and, or how could someone like get away with this? Mm-hmm. How could someone blah, 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 blah. You know, there's all these questions and you like, it's fascinating to like find out the hows, you know, but very quickly it like tends to turn into like appreciation instead of just sort of morbid fascination. You know what I mean? Like, like 
being like, I don't know, admiring. Not that you're aspiring to be a serial killer. Obviously, some people would still do, but they're aspiring to the sort of art of it, of the crime. Right. And it's and I that's think, really. I don't know. I, I I guess I'm a little less. Uh, I'm not as concerned. I can understand the fascination because they're so rare, and it's uh, it feels so random. And uh, right, yeah. So I think that's the fascination with it. And then there's obviously this. It's so removed from just a, an average person's day to day life. Uh, you know, when when yeah. someone is so far down uh, psychosis that it's it can just get. Uh, weirdly fascinating but i mean i can't say if this was the beginning of that fascination i think we're always kind of fascinated in it i mean you know people were writing love letters to ted bundy i think there's always like there's this weird interest in it a morbid curiosity i guess as you said but there's i mean this spawned a lot of copycats and sort of a almost yeah. invented the sort of psychological thriller that just got sort of run down in the dirt by, by the end of the nineties. Right. Well, and I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily, I think there's like, when I say things like glorification, it sounds like I'm sort of blaming the movie for things. And I don't, I don't mean to, I mean, I think there's an argument there about glorifying, you know, people were mad about the Ted Bundy thing with the handsome guy being handsome on a show about, you know, a serial killer or whatever. Was that Zephron that did that? Oh yeah. They um, thought it was. And I, I, I never, yeah, I never saw that. So I can't really speak to that, but I like, I think there's an argument to be had there, but I'm kind of t- more talking about the side of it where I just sort of don't get it. You know what I mean? In the same way. Okay. And I'm not, not saying that makes me morally superior. I'm just saying I, at some point I go, that's just, it's gross. And I think some of it is, I do get, like I'm kind of sensitive to the the gore mm-hmm. of it too. Like I don't love that, and that's part of why I don't like like horror films, like a straight horror films. Um, I can sort of like deal, and I think this one won't won't cross that line honestly. Because having seen bits of it, I know I know it's generally re- like seen as a very good movie, and the bits I've seen, I have liked of it. Um, I don't. So I, I think this one might straddle the line a little bit about of like the. What's I was gonna, just going to say, I was trying to think if there, if it's a gory movie. I don't remember there being particular... There's some unsettling images, I guess, more than gore in right. this. But I might be completely forgetting a whole part of it. I just want to know, can you come over to my house and cover my ass whenever? <laughs> yeah, I'll just perch on the back of the couch, seat it over yeah. you like a vulture, and then just put my hands over your eyes. <laughs> That'll be great. Um, so we're going to watch Silence of the Lambs. Um, I don't know where it's available. I guess I could. I think it's on quick. Um, the, the, the machine. On Is it on HBO Max? It's on Netflix, it says. Oh, there you go. Deej, cool. It's right there. Look at that. Watch along with us. We'll be back in a sec. Damon wants to tell you about becoming a pa- patron of the show uh, in Jodie Foster's voice. Um, go, Damon. Please regale our listeners. Um, um, uh, you know, if you listen, if you listen to to podcasts, you're very passive. Uh, you know, you're not actively creating podcasts; you're just passively listening to them. But you still want to actively, uh, you know, try and try and support um, uh, podcasts. Well, you can go to. Uh, you're in a child is an idiot.com 
and you know become one of our patrons uh choose what level is comfortable for you you know whatever you like uh, go on now you go on to your inner child's an idiot.com uh you've done what you can go on now hey we're back we watched silence of the lambs starring jodie foster and sir anthony hopkins oh, i don't know why i made that sound <laughs> Mm, he's known for his famous line. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sheffield. So the, <laughs> so the, you know, famously he doesn't say hello, Clarice. He no, he says good evening, Clarice. But he does say good evening, Clarice. This movie, uh, the lead is Clarice Starling, who's an FBI trainee. Uh, she uh, gets uh, picked from her classmates to uh, help with an investigation into uh, Buffalo Bill, a serial killer uh, stalking, you know, the uh, New England Midwest. I don't know why. Uh, and what? I don't know why I felt the need to specify where he was stalking. Um, anyway, um, they know he might have a link to Hannibal Lecter, uh, a famous serial killer that's already imprisoned. And so she goes to interview him ostensibly to do a psychological study and uh, becomes, uh, they sort of form a symbiotic relationship with each other um, where he finds her fascinating uh, and helps her rise in the ranks of the FBI um, while she has to sort of unpack uh, her past traumas for his pleasure um eventually though uh buffalo bill kidnaps a senator's daughter and that causes a a nationwide manhunt and uh gotta gotta stay away from the politicians you gotta you'll want to keep a low profile i always say when kidnapping women (laughs) you want to keep a low profile um anyway that's neither here nor there for the purposes of the recap uh eventually Hannibal Lecter uh, snags a deal from the senator and uh, gets moved to Memphis where he promptly escapes from captivity. Uh, but eventually Clarice uh, shows her uh, stick-to-itiveness and, you know, intuitiveness and uh, saves the day. A gumshoe nature. <laughs> yes. She went to that Carmen Sandiego gumshoe school uh, with Lynn Thigpen and uh, she uh, kills Buffalo Bill and saves Catherine Martin and uh, becomes an FBI agent. And uh, and doesn't get eaten. That's an important point that a lot of people don't bring up. Yes, and Hannibal Lecter escapes to uh, the Bahamas. Yeah, it looks like some sort of Bimini, Caribbean, I believe, type deal. I, that was one of my classic, uh, you know, recaps where I give you a lot of uh, vague details and then an odd assortment of very specific <laughs> details. It's like Christmas ornaments. You like you like put you put up like the garland and then you put up the big bulbs and then you're like, uh, I don't know, some like toothpicks. <laughs> she does one of my favorite movie tropes, and I don't know. This is just like a weird thing. I think this is not on movies being a trope, even so much as just like a weird thing that I notice. And that's when people wear very heavy clothing while they're working out. Um, I think it's because I'm overweight and I like uh, get overheated easily. She's like, in the very beginning, she's running the obstacle ropes course at the at Quantico or whatever at the mm. FBI headquarters. And she's wearing a turtleneck or like a semi-turtleneck. <laughs> a mock turtleneck. Mock turtleneck. It. And a sweatshirt over top of that. And she's sweating through it all, which that's fine. But it's just like, we'll take the sweatshirt off if you're, if you're that overheated. That's true. I will say we 
we are both sweat-laden men, um, but we're also men from the South. So the idea of wearing a sweatshirt while running, to actually Absurd. sweat in a sweatshirt is ludicrous because Absurd. I don't need it. Yeah. Um, but I have, if you've ever been to, you know, the... I remember once I was in Massachusetts and I was like, oh, this is where I was meant to be because it's cold in the summer here. <laughs> this is why J. Crew is making all those summer sweaters. It's because it's, you know, 58 degrees in the middle of July. Um, although she is in Virginia, she's not like, you know, 6,000 miles away from us. It does seem yeah. ludicrous. Although it does, uh, it does seem to be the fall there. There aren't yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a nip in the air, but I'm just saying that like, uh, this is this is the thing that happens. I, and again, maybe it's because of I, we do live in the South, but I grew up I grew up in Ohio. So like, like I feel like I, I we're from, Buffalo Bill sometimes stalked. That's right. All the it's great important. all the great serial killers. <laughs> There's something else to do. Presidents and serial killers. That's what we got <laughs> a disproportionate amount of in Ohio. Uh, and roller coasters for some reason. Um, the top three. If, if I could you want two of those, at least. You just crack the code why those three things come together. Um, too many men, I probably. Um, <laughs> There's too many men. They're either trying to show off uh, by, you know, gaining power. They're trying to show off by showing how uh, brave they are by hurtling themselves down a hill that they built out of sticks. <laughs> or they're keeping women in their, a well in their basement. Well, roller coasters, otherwise known as hills that we built out of sticks. Prove you're me not, wrong. You're not wrong. That's the problem. That's the main problem I have with that is that it's not exactly wrong. Um, this, again, I'm just showing you like that's that's something a movie can, you know, you have the saves a puppy from the from the tree in the first scene. This is how you establish your heroes. Sweats in a sweatshirt. That's how you know she's a badass. She's doing the rope course. She's sweating her ass off. She's She's fit. She's out there. She's a young go-getter, and then she gets called in and and uh, basically used. Uh, basically, <laughs> basically her her boss. What is it? Crawford? Is that Jack his name? Crawford? Yeah, Jack Crawford, who's the FBI guy played He's by. He's the head actor. of the behavioral sciences at FBI. Played Scott Glenn. Actor, Scott, Scott Glenn. Glenn. The we the very um, wispy Scott Glenn. Definitely don't know that name at all, but you've seen the guy. If you if you know if, even if you haven't seen this movie. Um, Not to be confused with Ed Strathern. Wait, is that his name? John Strathern? What's that actor's name? I'm looking to a window, by the way. You're looking, <laughs> but acting you're looking like it's... Uh, I think stage. it's David Strathern. Hold on. He is also a very thin, somewhat handsome... Uh, Actor. He looks like he was handsome. Like, he's not not handsome now, but he looks like in his 20s. Yeah, and he's, I think he's right at the uh, cusp where I think Scott Glenn, like, five years past Silence of the Lambs, just looks like uh, somehow, if only wrinkles were a person. Like, <laughs> not even the skin around the wrinkles, just if only wrinkles could become a man. Now you're rink shaming him, and I don't appreciate <laughs> it. Don't skin shame anybody. Um, I this is uh, the first time I realized how we Jodie Foster is. Oh, she's she a steps, tiny lass. She steps in the elevator with all, and that's part of the how they shot it. Of course, it's it's supposed to be like she's. My notes she's say Jodie, so we. Oh look, yeah, she's 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 just a little lass, which is um, a good thing. To, I mean, that's um, one of the things about this movie that a lot of people always bring up is the sort of. The uh, the way it's shot, it's explicitly shot. There are a lot of point of view shots, um, yes. particularly from Clarice Starling's perspective of her being looked at by men, her uh, yeah. you know yeah. 
looking at men, meeting eye contact. It's very sometimes uncomfortable. Um, But there's also a lot of shots, you know, showing her, uh, not necessarily a point of view shot, but that like getting in the elevator shot where she is surrounded by uh, giants, uh, uh, like seven foot tall men, it seems like. Um, And she's so tiny among them, just, you know, exemplifying that she is somewhat unique at being in FBI training, uh, being one of the few girls. And there's a scene where she, I think it's that same scene where she's heading back to uh, the building and she passes by a group of trainees running past her and they all, you know, turn to crane their necks to check her out. They Uh, all turn their faces turn into wolf heads for some reason. <laughs> they start slamming the table. Yeah. Um, they have green faces for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, distracting, I think, from, from the rest of the movie, <laughs> that they did the mask thing. It was a weird choice, Demi. Jonathan Demi. <laughs> um, but yeah, you see it later on with the uh, the sheriffs when she's talking to the small town sheriffs and they're doing the autopsy. They're looking her up and down. Um, yeah. Chilton does it. Ugh, ugh, Chilton. Um, it's great. It, I mean, it, 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 I don't want to dwell it on too much because everyone who talks about Silence of the Lambs talks about these point of view shots, but it is really striking because, you know, we're so used to films being, uh, you know, shot with the quote unquote male gaze. And this, I think, yeah. is one of the first shots, especially a sh- movie or first movies, especially a movie directed by a man, where I don't feel like that is a factor. There might be something I missed being a man, but, um, it really is like puts you in the shoes of being a woman in a world surrounded by men. And constantly yeah. she's, what I, what I think is amazing is she is constantly sexualized by the men around her, but the movie never seems to sexualize her. Yeah, You're always right. in the situation of like, oh, you guys are fucking creeps. Yeah. Um, but the movie never seems to like try and sexual, like the movie's eye or the lens doesn't seem to sexualize her, which well, is you, amazing. You, you brought up Chilton, Dr. Chilton too. So he's the the head of the the asylum, basically the, the yeah. Institute, he runs the asylum. institution where where Hannibal Lecter is. He they didn't show it in the shot, but they he has a sticker on his desk that says, Do, "You don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps." <laughs> and then a kitten that says, "Hang in there." And this little kitten <laughs> hanging um, that that doesn't have anything to do with anything. But um, so it's Dr. Chilton. So that Dr. Chilton was the one character. He's clearly like kind of abusive to his patients, very abusive to his patients, and he's a creepazoid. And I was, it, it's set up in, in his initial meeting with her, with Clarice, and it's like, is he supposed to be a serial killer too? Like there, there was clearly. <laughs> I feel like the movie. Does he skin women? It could have just been like the movie implying more to the story, which is good. Or to me, it, it read like there's there's something with this character maybe in the book or something that I'm not getting because he doesn't have a ton of screen time. He's clearly like not a good guy. Even he's though not he's a like good guy. I think on the side of good guys. I never got the guy. impression that he's also dangerous to women. He's definitely a creep. Um, right. He and he's definitely like full of himself. Uh, yeah. He he's, he loves being, you know, in this uh, position of power over someone like Hannibal Lecter. One of my, um, one of my favorite things about this movie, there's so many lines that can be read two ways. Um, and it's also very unreliable. And when people are talking that they're necessarily telling the truth, mm. um, there's the great transition to Dr. Chilton when you're in Jack, Scar- Jack Crawford's office and he's sort of building up to when he's, he's sort of describing Lecter. And I also want to talk about the buildup to meeting Dr. Lecter, but he's talking, you know, giving Clarice like, Hey, you're going to meet with Dr. Chilton. He's going to go over the, all the physical rules of meeting with Lecter. Um, but you don't want someone like, 
like lecture in your head, he says. And uh, I can't remember what he says, but she eventually has to ask the question, well, what is he? And instead of Jack Crawford responds, you cut to Dr. Chilton in the asylum saying, oh, he's a monster, um, mm. which is such a perfect, like simplistic thing. Uh, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people would agree that Hannibal Lecter is a monster, but I think that's like a really simplistic way of looking at him. Yeah. Um, and then later on, Dr. Chilton says, um, while he's sort of taking uh, Clarice to... Lecter's holding cell, he says, oh, he thinks I'm his nemesis. And my immediate thought is, no, he does not. <laughs> he does not think you are his nemesis in any way. That would be a position right. of respect. And right. you're just a jackass. Um, yeah, he, he eventually, uh, Chilton, you know, spies on, eventually he does not like that uh, Clarice keeps meeting with Lecter and starts right. recording their conversations, using them to sort of bolster his own opinion. And then when you see him, like when he goes to Memphis for Memphis or for Lecter's transfer, he's wearing like a fur coat and like a silk scarf. Like he's very well to do and just, you know, you can tell he's just full of himself. Right. Like there's... There's definitely uh, too much money that he's siphoning off the, fun the funding <laughs> of this hospital. I don't know um, if you get the impression that he's treating his patients poorly. Although, I mean, well, the, one of them the facility dies. is disgusting. Well, yeah, and the one—I mean, it's it's set up that that like, um, there's so as we will we're gonna come back to her meeting Hannibal Lecter, but uh, after she leaves that first meeting, the next cell over what's his name the Migs, the, multiple Migs in the next cell Migs uh throws his jizz at her Rude. and but the next time that that she hears from the, the hospital Migs is dead and it's it's set up that basically Hannibal Lecter made him kill himself through I was uh, very fuzzy on that I don't know how one swallows one's own tongue but apparently you can do it yeah but it, it's like it also it made me think, and I don't know that he was like Chilton was directly involved, but it, it implied to me that Chilton's negligence or his actual malice had led to that as well. It doesn't Either seem just by let not not keeping those those two apart, or mm -hmm. you know something. I mean, if so, if a prisoner dies on your watch, you have some responsibility for that. I mean, that's true. And fast. you do get the impression that no one seems to enjoy themselves there. Uh, Barney, there's a scene where Chilton is discussing things with Lecter, and Barney, uh, who is the attendant. Um, I guess the head security in that level, in Hannibal Lecter's level, he's the um, uh, the uh, the uh, super from Coming to America as well. Yeah, Frankie Faison uh, yeah. plays plays Barney. Um, little interesting thing about Frankie Faison: uh, he is the only person to appear in the four uh, Hannibal Lecter movies. He appears in oh. this one, um, Hannibal. Red Dragon, and then he coincidentally was in Manhunter, which was a movie in the 80s that is essentially the same story as Red Dragon, but Frankie Faison's in that as well. Wow. Frankie Faison, ladies and gentlemen. He's um, the, the but Kevin he's Bacon disgusted. Wait, what? He's the Kevin Bacon of the Hannibal universe. <laughs> Um, he, uh, he's disgusted. He seems to be very put off by the way Chilton's talking to Hannibal, sort of Chilton's yeah. very much taunting Hannibal. And I think Barney is very well aware that, uh, Hey, don't do that. Yeah. Barney gets a good scene in the next movie where he sort of talks about, he sort of has a similar scene with where that Clarice gets in this movie where Clarice confronts him and says, are you ever nervous that Hannibal's going to come after you? And he's like, no, cause I always treated him well and I was respectful yeah. of him. And uh, he doesn't bother people like that. 
Clarice in this movie, she says, I don't know how to say it, but he would consider that rude. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about that build up to Lecter because it's yeah amazing. I, I can't think of another movie that uh, sets up a character like this and then immediately like defies the expectations it even set up. I mean, this whole movie, the whole, aside from her running in the fucking forest, the whole first, you know, 10 minutes of this movie is telling you, oh, how scary Hannibal Lecter is. Hannibal Lecter's a monster. Hannibal Lecter's this. He eats people. He, yeah. you know, mauled a nurse after he faked, you know, a heart attack. Um, he's kept in the basement level of what seems to be the most disgusting asylum ever outside of like Les Miserables or something. And uh, it, I mean, going down to him is like a literal descent into hell. Like they keep every, every shot, the, the backgrounds that Chilton and Jody are walking in seem to get dingier and dingier until they're literally in a red lit room right before going into Hannibal's, you know, cell block. Um it's amazing. And then when she walks up to him, she passes by a real creepy uh, psychopath, a really quiet, like, reserved psychopath, multiple Migs, who's literally climbing up the walls. And then you get to Hannibal, and he is, like, clean. His hair is combed back. He's standing, like, with impeccable posture. He's got all these, like, charcoal drawings he's done of Florence. And he's like, good morning. That was my, that was my, w- one of my notes is just, Confirmed. Good posture is creepy. <laughs> I have I have to say just before before you get any of the visual stuff, like I have to give who's who's the author that wrote these books? Uh, Thomas Harris. Yeah, Thomas Harris. I have to give him credit. I mean, Hannibal Lecter is such a great name. It's such a good like. I think. Clarice Starling is a little uh, is a little on the nose. Uh, like some of them are very book like names, and Hannibal Lecter has become such an iconic name that it's like it's hard to recognize anymore. But it's just such a good name. Are you? I'm going to push back a little bit because I think it's a little bit ludicrous that a man who is a cannibal also is named Hannibal. Okay, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. And I then, just I mean, like- his nickname is, I mean, the, the, the reserved like guy when all hell breaks loose on the cell block is like Hannibal the cannibal. Uh, it's just <laughs> such a ludicrous thing yeah, that his name is ludicrous name that no one is named anymore. And it's like, oh, and what is he? By coincidence, he's the one crime that rhymes with his name. <laughs> his name's actually Richard. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. And maybe I, uh, over, I, I, overcorrected perhaps but i feel like i mean it sticks in the brain you're gonna you're not gonna forget his name i will say one thing about the books since we were just talking about that um one of the smartest moves to if you're ever wanting to make a movie out of a book is pick a book that isn't very good i've read (laughs) uh, it with jurassic park (laughs) (laughs) start with the godfather jurassic park silence the lambs i mean silence the lambs is a really kind of like schlocky book man or red dragon before it is not very interesting at all it's almost completely forgettable except for the hannibal parts and he's an even smaller part of red dragon than he is in in silence of the lambs um the only thing that sets silence of the lambs apart is the fact that it is written from a woman's perspective and i will say the movie is fairly accurate to it but it is still kind of like a pulpy kind of schlocky uh book it's mm-hmm. not terrible, but that's what it is. Right. So right. the like it it's it's a low bar to clear for Jonathan Demi. He knocks it out of the park, but it's like, oh yeah, this is this is much better than the 
the right. book. Because Hannibal in the book, he's Lithuanian. Uh, he has maroon eyes. Okay. He has six fingers on his hands. His, on both yeah, hands? On both hands, and they're fully functional. When he goes into hiding, he cuts off the sixth finger on both hands um, and gets plastic surgery, so he looks completely different. Books also like to throw in plastic surgery like it's a catch-all. Like, people who get plastic surgery don't look fucking weird. Um, <laughs> like, like, they're not I, more recognizable. Hannibal Lecter looking like Joan Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to get that out because... The movie, like, not only is his name Hannibal, I think it is a really good name. It's just a little on the nose that it rhymes with cannibal. But Fair then enough. when you read his description in the book, it's like, okay, he's not a fucking space alien. He's not a demon, yeah. <laughs> what do you think, uh, do you want to talk about Anthony Hopkins, how, he's, how he plays this? I, w- I do. I think he, like, pulls, uh, Mer- Meryl Streep, when she does Devil Wears Prada, she talked about how, one of her tricks was to never raise her voice. She right. always sort of speaks in sort of a whisper so that yeah. everyone sort of has to lean in. Um, I mean, there are parts of this where, where Hannibal Lecter, you know, starts screaming. Um, but for the most part, he's very cat-like. He speaks in an almost like a purr. Uh, he's always like kind of winking. Um, someone once described him as like, even if you knew what he did, if you met him at a party, you'd still want him to like you. Right. Like, that's what I think is so perfect about this character um, is that he's so charming, even though he's already been described as a monster. And you're pretty much just counting the minutes down until this guy fucking gets out of this cell and starts raining terror down on up. everyone. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think in the later movies, he gets a little bit more scenery chewy. Yes. Uh, but in this, he he is very restrained, which almost just makes it more eerie he's sort of like cranking up the tension um because he's just so cool and collected he always seems in control of the scene um he he's very good at like being very prim and proper while also being wildly inappropriate uh, with his conversation topics um uh, migs multiple migs in the next cell he hissed at you what did he say Siri, you don't have to be involved. Um, when he our, does uh, that, I, you're, you're spoiling it. But our special guest today is <laughs> is a robot, Siri from Damon's phone. <laughs> Not mine. Uh, you don't get to be in this. <laughs> you know what you did. <laughs> um, he's just so he like purrs at people, and he he has like almost like a cat malevolence. Like he's just like playing with people until he's yeah and done with them. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a good an analogy for how he toys with them mentally as well. Like he's clearly just wants to kind of set set Clarice up. Anybody he talks to, he's playing a game. He's playing with them like a cat toy, you know, or a mouse. I don't know, cats. What do they do? What do they play with? Lasers? Uh, cats play with lasers. They uh, play with uh, dead Jeez. animals. Um, mm-hmm. They play with uh, you know receipts. Tippy likes a good receipt crumpled mm. up. Thank you, Walgreens, and your enormously long. <laughs> oh yes, she loves that. Even when you're doing something that sounds like a receipt, she just comes running into the kitchen. Like, what can I do to help? Um, yeah, I, I one of the my favorite facts about this that when Jodie Foster was on Inside the Actors Studio, she talked about how um, she was. They had not really discussed things with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, they hadn't discussed their scene, and he started doing her accent uh, when he started talking to her. Um, mm. 
that accent you've tried so hard to cover up, pure West Virginia. Uh, and she thought he was that Anthony Hopkins was making fun of her and it got right. in her head and she like was holding back tears. Um, which is just, I mean, uh, just pitch perfect. I love that uh, little yeah. fact. Um, what did you think? What do you think about him? I thought it was really good. I think I've seen this. I'm, I've seen bits of, of this movie, so it's not mm. like it was totally new to me. But and it's parodied, I believe. Right. That's what I was going to say. Even more than that, I've seen takes on this, either comedically or plays on it, even in a dramatic fashion where there's clearly like channeling Hannibal Lecter. Plus I've seen Hannibal, the TV show, you know, like, uh, like people channeling this performance, I was expecting it to not really live up to it. I was expecting it to be a little bit more ham handed. Like I know that he gets in the later movies of this series, but it was, it was great. It was, I, I would, I always, you know, hesitate to say perfect, but it, it, he played it extremely well. And it was like, those scenes are very tense. You are expecting him to be able to just fucking break through the glass. It's just like, <laughs> right. it's, it's like a coiled snake. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it, he's not attacking, but he, you know, he could, you know what I mean? There's just, right. he's you, been you, built up in that fashion, even though he like defies your expectations by, you know, being prim and proper and standing perfectly straight up and, uh, you know, well, manicured or whatever uh he you're still like well aware of everything you've learned about this character up until now and it just puts you on edge the whole thing you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and it doesn't drop until like two-thirds into the movie yeah um he doesn't blink when he talks that was one of his choices uh which is off-putting as well in a way that you can't place uh he loves a wink um (laughs) more people don't wink enough um Bring the wink back. Uh, but I'd also like to, I want to talk about um, Jody's performance as well, um, because yeah. one of the, she does something kind of amazing in this, in that she's constantly playing two levels of her character in a way for you, the audience member, to see, and for her scene partners to see. Um, so she's always very um, officious and... Uh, respectful to everyone. Um, she's very good at sometimes with people like Chilton, she'll play them. She's very good at, you know, playing them for what she needs. Uh, but she's also very scared. Um, yeah, right. Understandably after, you know, walking with her down to this, you know, hellhole in the middle of Baltimore, um, she's terrified and, and, and she has this great sort of uh, great but quiet moment with Barney, the the head security guy. Um, she's seen Chilton, who's a creep. There's two guys yeah. in the security sort of area with Barney. One very stern-faced man. There's a guy behind glass with a slew of guns uh, who's like cocking a gun as she's getting ready to go in there. And then Barney, who's like the nicest guy on earth, um, who's like, uh, he slams the sort of cell door, you know, separating the security office and the, you know, cell block hallway. Uh, and she like, you know, she jumps and you can tell she's just like, what am I doing? What have I gotten into? And he's like, you'll do fine. And he's very sweet. Um, yeah. But I feel like her performance is constantly on two levels, um, which when she is in a scene with Anthony Hopkins is great because he, his character sort of sees both of those levels. He does not buy the first level and always sort of needles her for more. Um information and sort of picks at her uh, to make her uncomfortable. Uh, but she's really great at that. 
She's yeah. really good at portraying those two levels of the character, and I was kind of amazed this time around of her ability to just maintain that in a way that never seemed like, you know, when people are lying in like sitcoms and their eyes are shifting back and forth, and I'm supposed to believe that no one else in the scene knows they're lying, right. but yeah. I, as the studio audience member, are like, uh, they're lying. Clearly, George is lying to to Elaine. Um, but she, I think she's fantastic. She earned that goddamn Oscar she got. Yeah, and the, her performance and the just the storyline in, in general kind of undercuts. I feel like it would be more stereotypical or, of of the story for her to well, like when the in these like cop the the cop with the good instinct, right? Like she's the the classic, just a good cop. She's got good instinct. She's really smart and like. But I feel like so many movies just say that over and over, and this shows that she. So she's like top of our class like clearly got that sort of academy instincts but the the movie could either in one way just show her getting completely in over her head in real life situation like which she like, does when she finds herself at a serial does, killer's house which she does um and you know but it's like it's played more i don't know more interestingly and with more credit to her character but there's also the thing that happens where there's like god Damn it, Smith! You're the best cop we have, but you don't ever see why. Right, and you exactly. See in this, that movie, you're the yeah, best cop we have. You drove a car into a building. That building blew up. <laughs> right. uh, you killed 16 bystanders, but you did get the guy who robbed that convenience store. I mean, he's dead, also, but still. <laughs> but yeah, like you'll you see her. You you see that development. You see that she's very green, but that she's literally smarter than everyone else except for maybe Hannibal in this movie. Like, right, she has a few moments in this where her being a woman in a world full of men uh, really proves like she has a knowledge that other people do not, that, right. that she can hone in on things that other people don't. Uh, she's the first one to sort of catch uh, when they're doing that autopsy. You know, she's like, oh, well, look at these earrings and the nail polish. She's not a country girl. She's from like in town. Um, she also, uh, when she's at Frederica Bimmel's house, who is the, the, the first victim of Buffalo Bill, um, near the end, uh, she has this moment where she's sort of going through, uh, the girl's bedroom and she finds a music box. Mm. And, uh, on first watching, you're kind of like, is this like an artistic moment? Cause you just see the yeah. little ballerina doll spinning. But then she she knows because she's like, I know where girls hide their shit. And she like right. picks the back uh, of the lid off and she finds all these sort of naughty photos that Federica had taken with someone. Um, right. And that as another like, yeah, she knows things because you're a bunch of, you know, guys in the FBI and you don't know, you don't have this intuition that she has when she's looking into, uh, into these, these people's lives, into yeah. these women's lives. The girl that gets kidnapped that we see alive throughout the the story is the the one lady from Grey's Anatomy. Uh, yeah, I never watched Grey's Anatomy, but I remember. I think I went to see this at uh, a midnight showing, and someone was. Uh, I think LT was telling me she's like, "Oh yeah, she's on Grey's Anatomy." I'm like, I don't know that show. She also how has my favorite line at the end of the movie. We'll come. We'll, we don't need to skip ahead, but uh, which is she's stuck in the pit. And Clarice is like, where, where did he go? And she goes, how the fuck should I know? Just get me out of here. <laughs> I great. do like that. She is a senator's girl. Um, she is a senator's daughter. A and senator's girl? <laughs> that makes very... you sound like an assistant. And it's like 1932. <laughs> um, uh, is that what, your girl, uh, senator? Tell my um, girl what you want for chow time. 
She'll go pick it up. Uh, so she also, in that same scene, um, <laughs> Clarice, another uh, instance of her playing both sides, she's terrified out of her mind because she has found herself at Buffalo Bill's house with no backup. Um, yeah. And he's escaped into his labyrinthine basement. Um, but she's also trying to tell Catherine, like, hey, everything's cool. If you could keep that dog quiet, she's like, uh, Catherine, you're safe now. Uh, and Catherine goes, safe shit. Get me out of here. You bitch. <laughs> I love, I mean, it's hard to say like, Oh, she's a Senator's girl. She's probably, you know, uh, a brat or something, but also like she's been in a well and like she's this, a, there's a good chance that right. Clarice isn't going to get out of here alive. If you could just get me out yeah. first and then right. worry about Buffalo yeah. Bill. And we get a little bit like, cause we get a, a little bit of the interaction like she's the one that Buffalo Bill says it puts the lotion on its skin. So like right. we get a little bit of her personality and she's, you know, she's feisty. She's like, she does like cry and beg for her life, which is kind of typical of, of the victim in this movie. And, and typical of what I'm not saying that it's like, it's a bad thing. Like that's what any of us would do in that situation. Right. I'm she just is saying a little that, bit more. Uh, I mean, who knows what the other victims did? We did see right. one had apparently tried to claw their way out of that. Right. That well, yeah. <laughs> but we um, see her. She, she's she's smart and she's feisty. Like she exactly. tries to trick the dog. She ends up getting the dog down there to like to get which to throws everything off. Right. Uh, for Buffalo for baby. Um, which I should say cool. like I, I thought that was cool. Uh, not cool. Like <laughs> it was fun to see, but it it was a, a nice like you she gets a little bit of character moments like even though she's this this yeah she's not i mean she is a damsel in distress but yeah. uh she is not uh just a sort of stock character she does she does get her moments yeah she loves tom petty i mean who doesn't she's not a fucking monster yeah. uh <laughs> she's an american girl you know she american girl. oh wait uh I'm sorry. I'm just realizing there's, you know what? I'll just save all my favorite quotes for later. Okay. So can you explain to me, this is more of a plot question than a criticism. Um, DJ, thank you for coming to me with this. <laughs> what exactly happened with the prison transfer? Let me explain what I understand and then where it kind of falls apart for me. So Clarice, <laughs> okay. Clarice, Clarice comes to uh, Hannibal with a basically a deal. If he agrees to help her find or uh, find Buffalo Bill, he'll get a transfer to a place with a window. It's a better. It's still maximum security, but it's a better Plum way. Island Animal Disease Island. Research Center. Yeah, that is a fake deal. She did not have permission to do that. It's um, under the senator's name, right? Is the real like problem? It's that it's they're they're sort of doing it as bait. They know that Hector or Hector, as I call him, Hector, um, has some link to Buffalo Bill and probably just knows his identity and could tell them at any time. Um, right. And so they're trying to give him what he presumably wants, which is a, a transfer to a, a more uh, interesting facility where he could at least have a window. So they find out about that deal. Um, the senator finds the out. The senator finds out is pissed and they basically yank the case away from FBI and it goes to the department of justice Yes. And and then the senator does offer him a deal, but a different deal to go her to deal. somewhere. Her deal to somewhere. Well, Chilton is in there in the mix too because he had yeah. been recording the instance. He's the one right. who brings it to the attention yeah. of the senator right. because okay. he wants his. 
and uh, he uh, goes to Lecter's cell to taunt him and say, uh, I talked to the senator. She doesn't know anything about a deal. There was no deal with the senator, but there is now uh, my deal. And uh, he would be transferred to Tennessee. To uh, <laughs> The senator is from Tennessee. Falls! So he's going to be transferred to Tennessee. Uh, he's held in Memphis. Uh, in the meantime... Uh, oh, so until, he's going somewhere else. Right. So his plane just, lands in Memphis, and he's going to be transferred to a facility. Okay. He's and not going to be staying in a giant animal cage. Yeah, they have forever. him in this like this like circus sideshow, like where he's like set up and he's got like spotlights on him, and he's in the middle of this room with a cage. And like not just like not a modern circus. It's like P.T. Barnum still alive. Yeah, and he's, yeah. I've got the perfect cage for him. We're gonna have him stand on chairs. We're gonna love it. The kids will pay a two bits of gander. That was very weird to me. Like, I know it's like, it's a movie. The fact that they had a cage ready to go. Yeah. That was our main question. It definitely looks cool, but it, like, that's the only reason that they did it. And it Why was Why wouldn't like, they just put him in a regular prison? Yeah. It, if it you're going to put him out in a cage like bit. that. <laughs> well, because I feel like it did done. I mean, not that there's not plenty of artistic choices in this one, but this one was a little bit over the top for me because it was just like, what the fuck is going on? And it sort of also made me think about the deal and I then I got confused on the details and that, that's I'm not saying that's necessarily just the mo- just me or the movie I think it's probably a little bit of both mm-hmm. but it was confusing because it was like she offers him a deal there is no deal Chilton here's the deal then gets a deal but it's a different deal but it's the same deal and I then think he it- doesn't actually get transferred to the thing yet he gets transferred to like somewhere in between where he escapes I think it was just like, that's where he landed and they would stay the night there and then transfer him the next day, presumably. But I think also it is pending Catherine's... um, Right. There's no deal. Retrieval or whatever. She gets him back. Yeah. And uh, so that's how I take it, um, that they're holding him there until they can confirm that Catherine's safe, uh, confirm that the information he's giving them is accurate. Um, right. But I imagine it was just a temporary facility and then he would be moving somewhere else. But I think the idea is like, she had no idea there was a deal. It was, she was done without her knowledge at all, but under her name. Right. So she was pissed about that. And then Chilton uses that and like, well, why wouldn't we just loop her in and then get, get mine? Yeah. Well, and then we also see in this uh, makeshift um, cell, that Hannibal's reading Bon Appetit. So we know, we get Just, his racist undertones from that. <laughs> no, he's not watching Bon Appetit videos. You got to really separate the Condé Nast video right, editing right. and the uh, Condé Nast publishing house. Um, I love those. I, I miss I miss those videos. Just just pay everybody. Just pay them. No. no. That was my Condé um, Nast impression. What if we don't, but we pay them less? No, no. Yeah. All right, we're not making videos then. Sorry, you made your decision. It's your fault we're not having videos <laughs> anymore. There's a there's a little bit of uh of crazy subterfuge how how Hannibal escapes. So he gets a pen from Chilton, right? This is probably I mean, I think in my opinion, this is probably the weakest of the uh probably the weakest at least plot point of the movie. Um yeah. I had so so again. Uh, Chilton is gloating to Hannibal. Um, he's sort of tapping his lips with a pen as he sort of gloats, like there was no deal, but now there's a deal, and it, I'm in charge. Um, 
And all you see is like Hannibal is just like fixated on the pen. He's just staring at it. And Hannibal is in a straight jacket and the mask. And he is like completely restrained at this moment. Absolutely. And uh, Chilton is like, Barney, go wait outside. Um, and Barney, I loved Barney's face at that point. He sort of like looks at Hannibal and he's like very shocked. Like, you want me to leave you alone with Hannibal Lecter in this cell? Um, and there's also a moment where Hannibal whispers, thank you, Barney. Um, as Barney leaves. Um, there it's such a weird relationship. <laughs> I can't help but be oddly charmed by Hannibal Lecter. Um, but I guess the idea is that so Hannibal is looking at that pen, he's sort of trying he's sort of formulating an initial plan because th- what that's one of the things you cannot pass to Hannibal Lecter is any sharp objects. The only right. thing he can retrieve is soft paper, no staples, no paper clips, no pens. Um and, I didn't even remember they said that. That's a nice little... Uh, yeah. Uh, and then I guess the idea, I think watching it this time, I tried to sort of like think it through, like what's what's the movie trying to tell me he's doing? And I think the fact that he drops the little hint of, his name is Lewis and I'll tell you the rest in Tennessee. The idea is that Chilton is so excited by this idea that he leaves his pen in Hannibal's mm. cell. It is one of those things. I did, one of my notes in my one of my notes in my notes is uh, I wondered if this was the, the beginning of the modern trope of like the villain wants to be caught that I'm so exhausted by now. Yeah. Um, where, you know, about at the beginning of act two, the villain gets arrested. Oh no, everything's worked out, but wait, he seems a little too smug being in prison. Why does the Joker, you know, seem so yeah. happy to be in prison? And why does Loki want to be in the Avengers spaceship? And why does, uh, what was my other example? Oh, Khan, not from the good Khan, that shittier Khan from Star Trek into <laughs> darkness. He also <laughs> wanted to be in prison. So, ha- so help him God. Um, I'm Khan. What? Is that supposed to mean something to me? Is Khan a person? Why would you go by that first name and then go by a different name later? Both are meaningless to me. Who's you know, J.J. Have, Abrams? You know, in this universe, I haven't seen Star Trek two, right? <laughs> we don't have Star Trek movies because we are the Star Trek movies. <laughs> I am Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> We're trekking through the stars currently. Oh, is that This what is that our means? second time doing it as well. Um... So anyway, I, I wondered if this was like, this is the the movie that everyone's sort of like wanting to get those moments from when they do the the super genius villain gets, you know, trapped in prison on purpose. Why would you ever want to be in prison? Wait, wait, wait. You're, you're saying that this, that he wanted to be caught in the first place? No. I'm just okay. saying that okay. those movies that sort of fall into that trope, I wonder if they're doing it for an homage to Silence of the Lambs. Gotcha. Silence of the Lambs, he is in prison at the beginning, and that's I was going to say, it. I don't think he um, meant to be in prison for a year. But it is a little fuzzy, like how he's able to trigger his plan into action because it relies so much on Chilton accidentally leaving his pen in Hannibal Lecter's thing. It just, it's, it's one of those things, like I can easily overlook it, but it's one of those things upon rewatch that you're like, what the fuck is this? Well, and it's like, is he very, hypnotizing him by staring at the pen? Sorry. It's very clearly. And I think you have to do that. Otherwise you're like, where the fuck did the pen come from? What is he using right. to, you know, but like they, they it's very clear that the pen's going to come into play. But I do think um, my thought, and this could just be glossing over, like the movie did a generally good job. So you start forgiving other things yeah. where, it, but uh, where it was like, I thought he just grabbed the pen and then was like waiting for his opportunity. 
he knew he was going to be transferred, so there'd probably be less security or like more opportunities, like little holes, you know, here and there. And then when he saw it, he he started to observe his. Although it doesn't seem like he was in that. So skipping forward to when he's in the cage in Memphis, uh, it seems like he knows what's going to happen. Like there's this routine, so they must have been there for longer than just a day or two. Because well, he um he's got they this meal say, routine, right? But they do say um as they're bringing that meal, they're like, can you believe this son of a bitch ordered a second meal? So it is his second dinner of the day. And he's probably being treated like a king, at least on this first day, because they're still hopeful they'll get, yeah, he has the information. They're hopeful they'll get uh, Catherine. So he orders those lamb chops extra rare, and the the cops are very annoyed by it. So he probably being, you know, know, a polymath or whatever the fuck he is, um, has already like figured out the exact routine and how it works that works uh, in this okay. Okay. weird holding cell. I just missed that, so that's I'll, I'll say I'll take that one, not the movie. That one's on me. But these guys DJ, are also very like, generous of you. These guys are also like fucking Keystone cops. They're like they're like <laughs> like the okay the guys that get murdered of them piled in a cop car. Why is that? Yeah, like the the the, the two guys that get murdered <sighs> are. That you know, we get a little bit of some lines and some FaceTime, but then all the guys that come in, Chris Isaac and his crew that oh, come those in, those guys, yeah, they're just like, yeah, go with it, yeah, it was like, it was very like, what is going <laughs> Keith on? Thank God you arrived. Yeah, all right, boys, let's get them. It was very like, take them away, toys. <laughs> then we get the real switcheroo, though. I, I know we're just like, I just we just have to point this out, like the real. So the first trickery is getting the pin, and then the. The the big the big reveal is that uh, he has carved Hannibal, yeah. one of the cops' faces off and is wearing it face. over his face. Yeah, and so the person they find that is um, alive and they take away is actually Hannibal, dressed as the cop with his with the cop's face on top of his face. It's pretty disgusting and also brilliant. Do you think like um you know how when you were a kid you would get like strawberry jam all over your face and cuz Hannibal's a, a cannibal do you think he was like kind of licking like the inside of the face a little bit just like I put double switcheroo what was I talking about Well so the- uh well also uh, Pembry the corpse of Pembry has dr- dr- been dressed oh, up yeah. like Hannibal Lecter Now I don't want to tell Jonathan Demi how he should have done his job but I would have loved a comedic scene where Hannibal Lecter is like trying to switch clothes with the um, <laughs> dead body of a police officer. You, you want to see the to get clothes on a living child who does not want to get dressed? <laughs> um, I thought you were going to go for a weekend at Bernie's type situation. Oh, no, that would have been great. Yeah. They do sort of weekend at Bernie's him. Except he's yeah. just a corpse sitting on top of an elevator and they yeah. shoot him in the leg. Then his faceless um, body comes down out of the top of the elevator. I got one more thing before the big thing. Uh, oh God! The so w- eventually uh, Clarice ends up like as we mentioned, she's at Buffalo Bill's place, and he has escaped into the his labyrinthian basement, and oh, uh-huh. he shuts off the lights, and we get this scene of he's got night vision goggles and she doesn't. And you just right. see her through night vision. When he kidnaps Captain Martin at the beginning, we see that he has night vision goggles yeah. and they return here. Yeah. And so you just see his point of view through night vision that she's so uh Jodie Foster that Clarice is is like kind of 
feeling around, fumbling around. She's got her gun. She's very like, uh, you know, heightened awareness. She's literally, like, I mean, her gun, she's trying to keep her gun, you know, straight in front of her in case something happens, but she's shaking so bad. It's yeah. so realistic too. I don't know if they actually filmed her in the dark or what, but it is yeah. very accurate. It's And it's, Terrifying, and I will say, um, I had the chance, as I said earlier, to see this at a midnight viewing, and that mm. was the first time I had ever seen it in a theater. Every other time, yeah. I'd just been watching it at home on a Saturday right. afternoon. Right. Um, well, I died Easter eggs, I imagine. <laughs> uh, and uh, it is when you're in a dark theater, that scene is so terrifying. Yeah. Uh, even more so than it already is, which is, I mean, you've always been, if you've ever been in a dark room that you're not entirely familiar with, it's terrible. Um, if you've ever been in a dark room with, you know, a serial killer, that's even right. worse. I think we can all agree. Um, but yeah, seeing it in a theater was a unique experience. I highly recommend it if you ever, it's well, if so well coronavirus ever goes away and you can go into a theater again and they're showing Silence of the Lambs, yeah. a 25-year-old movie, you can, uh, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> a lot of things got to go your way, but you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Hannibal's escape plan. <laughs> but I like, I like, like, cause he's got a gun too, but he's also just a fucking creepazoid. And so he like, you see his hand like, oh, coming really close to her again. She, you know, he, he grazes her hair. Can, yeah. He grazes her hair and he passes his hand over like two or three inches from her face. Yeah. Um, which I, I imagine if she breathes, she would feel the breath come back and then she should shoot him. So it's kind of like on her. Um, she eventually shoots him. It's fine. She does, and it all works out. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's a great scene. It's a really good scene. Well done. And I mean, it's just the apotheosis of that point of view stuff again. Um, yeah. Just works into the climax. <sighs> okay, now let's uh, let, let's get to it. Uh, it's time for Trans Corner over here. Yeah. So Buffalo Bill is the the main, uh, well, the, the main villain we're after in this movie. He's a serial killer, and he is characterized as, they men- they they say, they call him a transsexual. Right, that would have uh, been the, the parlance of the time, of the to time. quote Julianne yeah. Moore, who also plays Clarice Starling in a terrible movie. That's right. Um, but it is very much a demonizing, obviously he's a serial killer, so... That has <laughs> so strike that has, one. So strike one. So they're like they're like using the fact that he's uh, that he is trans that as like the reason why or like it's just very. I will. I think this movie. I don't think this movie does well by trans people. Don't get me wrong. I right. think this movie is trying to have it both ways. There is a scene where. Um, where Hannibal is talking um, talking about Buffalo Bill, where he starts to reveal that he knows who Buffalo Bill is. Um, right. And, uh, you know, uh, Clarice says, now wait a minute. You know, she's using her acumen. Um, she says, now wait a minute. Transsexuals are very passive. Uh, and... Um, and Hannibal says, you're, you're so close uh, to how you're going to catch him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Buffalo Bill had, uh, had uh, applied for a gender confirmation surgery or gender reassignment surgery, they say then, um, at, at you know, John Hopkins or a number of different, different places where, that's, uh, where you're able to do that. Um, 
and they would have denied his application. Uh, the very idea, I mean, that is sort of a dated thing. The idea that you would, uh, someone would tell you I'm trans and you'd be like, well, what did a doctor say? <laughs> um, right, is, right. is, is dubious. Um, but that's not uncommon at the time. In the early 90s, that wouldn't be uncommon. Right. The other thing, though, is uh, Buffalo Bill does not live his life as a woman. He lives his life as a man. Yeah. Um, and gender is a, a many uh, splendid thing. Uh, and but I'm not. But tradition. He lives his life as a traditional man. He uh, even puts on a voice when he's talking to Catherine Martin. The famous "It rubs the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again." He talks like that then. But when um, when Catherine Martin gets precious, precious down yeah. in the well, he's like, "Well, you don't know what pain is." Like he turns into you know a He-Man villain uh, just then. <sighs> Uh, so it, it, I think it's trying to sort of be politically correct and say, well, Buffalo Bill's not really transsexual, so I guess we solved that. But it right. is a very dated way of talking about trans people. And on the other hand, it also exoticizes Buffalo Bill in a very weird way. It's a very like, well, check out this queer, um, where he's dancing yeah. with his dick tucked between his legs, and he's you know wearing a woman's scalp around uh, while talking about you know wanting to get fucked so hard. Um, so I think the movie is sort of playing on, hey, aren't queers kind of weird? While also yeah. like telling you like he's not really trans, so everything we're doing here is cool. Right. It does. Yeah. It does the the lumping together that we've noticed in many movies of similar era where it's like that queer shit, which is just like <laughs> right. anything that you that is not heteronormative, like in this like this sort of box that you have, like is just other. And so you can put any number of things in that in that category as you want. And this obviously he's supposed to be, um, you know, an ab abhorrent vi villain. And so right. like he's also into this weird shit. It's like everybody, the idea is you're like, yeah, that makes, yeah, this yep, is all that true. tracks. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it, I'm also head of my class at Quantico. So this all tracks. <laughs> well, it also, I mean, you, you have very, I mean, even today you have very little trans representation in media. So the fact that, Oh, we, we've got your trans person. It's right here. He's stabbing girls and skinning them alive and wearing their skin. Uh, you know, Trans, yeah. trans rights are human rights. Um, <laughs> but I also want to say, um, not to continue defending the film, but I think w probably what Thomas Harris uh, was probably really clumsily trying to do is one of the, th the themes in these books, and I think this comes from at least the FBI at the time's sort of uh, protocol when it comes to serial killers. There's this idea that serial killers, they're not doing crimes of passion. They're not like, oh, my girlfriend cheated on me. I'm going to go kill her and her boyfriend. Um, they're, you know, hey, these people stopped in a rest stop. I'm going to kill them now. Right. Um, and there's this idea that they're doing it to become something else. Uh, there, there's some idea that they will reach some sort of heightened version of reality or heightened state of being for themselves if they do these certain things in a certain way. Mm. Um, and I think probably what Thomas Harris was thinking was like, well, what's a way someone might try to transform themselves uh, before maybe Lee starting a life of becoming a serial killer. Oh, transsexual people, you know, do this. I'm going to write about a transsexual serial killer. And it's clumsy and stupid. And I think uh, it's not a good look in this movie. I don't think that ruins this movie. Uh, I actually, um, 
have you seen the show, the movie Disclosure on Netflix? It's a documentary. No, it talks. It's uh, about uh, trans visibility in media. Mm-hmm. And I unfortunately I should have looked this up before I watched, but they do talk about Silence of the Lambs. Um, and uh, uh, one of the women on there, she she talks about like I love Silence of the Lambs, but yeah, it does really bad by trans people. Right. Um, it is a really good movie, but it should you know there's always going to be that sort of asterisk next to it, and like ugh. When well, that's exhausting. like that's I mean not again not not that we speak for any any trans people but like <laughs> like th- that's the issue when there's so little representation is like when there is some representation and it's a serial killer it's like come come on like I don't mind you know as a gay man I don't mind you know Scar from the Lion King you know being right, gay right. representation in media I just don't want him to be the only representation in media right. yeah it's like it's like you know. As someone, as a straight white male, I've, I have like ninety nine point nine percent representation, and so you get to be all the cool Bond villains. So you, yeah, you get you get the serial killers, but you also get uh, you get James Bond, you get Thor, right, you exactly. know what I mean? You get like anything you want. Although he's not really human, so I don't know if that counts. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it shouldn't count towards straight white men. Thor definitely yeah. different. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have him. He's straight. <laughs> okay yeah i just thought so like again i think we're open if you uh if you want to disagree with us um coming from a different experience we're just uh a couple of guys a couple of cisgender know? guys talking about so, trans issues and hands on the lamps yeah so the, the caveat that it comes with our own perspective but uh we have to you have to talk about it with this movie it's oh just yeah like, do you want to do quotes uh, I want to do quotes, but I want have a few, just a handful of casting notes that I'd like to talk about. Okay. Um, this movie was filmed in the Philadelphia area, which uh, there's probably a dearth of actors with uh, a lot of experience. So this mm. movie has a weird fact that it has two people known from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which was also filmed in the Philadelphia area. Oh, my God. Um, you have Don Brockett, who was Chef Brockett in the neighborhood. He plays the friendly psychopath who says hi to Clarice as she starts walking down the uh, down the hallway. Hi. Uh, he always had, like, the big, like, pink chef's hat, and whenever, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers wanted to learn how to cook something, he would head down to the bakery, and, and Chef Brockett would show him how to do things. And you also have Chuck Aber, who is like the FBI autopsy guy. Uh, he's sort of like the sort of slim-waisted birdie who um, helps with the autopsy, starts taking photographs of the body mm, when, they're, yeah. when they're looking at that body they retrieve. Uh, he, I can't remember what he did, but I, he, he, would, he lived in the main neighborhood of make-believe. He was one of the few humans who would uh, <laughs> do chores for King Friday because he had no legs. Um, uh, so Chuck Aber, Don Brockett. And then one more note, Darla... This is not Darla's first film with us. She is a okay. friend of the podcast. Darla played Precious in Sons and Lambs, but she also played Queenie in The Burbs. Oh. Queenie who took shits in Rumsfeld's lawn. Uh, Queenie, she's just got a stellar record on IMDb. Yeah. I highly recommend checking out Darla's, Darla's IMDb profile. Also, Dar- Darla was listed as "quote unquote" Darla, like her name was in quotes, which Lauren was very upset about. It is odd, <laughs> like that's the name. If I that's go, her name. Give as her, much you as know, if I send her to the vet, that's what's written on her, you know, medical information. Wait, I wonder if that was a, um, you know, how they have very strict parameters in credits. I wonder if that was a, a rule at the time. That I am curious. Like- you do sometimes see that. And sometimes you don't in movies. I think it's just like yeah. 
people doing shit. Darla is also in Batman Returns. She oh, yeah, plays she's the, the poodle lady's poodle. Yeah, poodle lady. Okay. Um, she's also Damn. in Pee Wee's Big Adventure as the pink poodle. Yeah, oh, shit. How did Darla get all these gigs? She's a busy lady. She's got a good R. agent. Though, of course. R.I.P. I, I imagine. I mean, I'm no uh, veterinarian, but. She oh, died. 1992. She was 17 years old. She died the minute Batman Returns wrapped. She's she totally. died at the she died at the rap party. It was really Aww. a bummer. Michael Keaton was devastated. Well, don't go to the bathroom to do cocaine with Dana DeVito. Darla, rules try, are rules. You try resisting. <laughs> They're both about the same height anyway. By so the way, I don't to have someone to talk to. <laughs> by the way, I do not have any quotes that I guarantee you also don't have. So just go ahead. This is all you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Jason Xanthopoulos, I hope you're listening. Uh, let me know if I miss any. Um, I, uh, I love Hannibal Lecter a lot. I think he's just like low-key funny this entire movie. Uh, my first favorite line, well, this actually is not not a funny line, but it's one of those lines that can be read two different ways. Uh, when he does closer, um, she shows her ID and he goes, that expires in one week. You're not real FBI, are you? Uh, and she's like, no, I'm a trainee uh, at the academy. And he says this, and I every time I watch it, I hear it the other way. It's kind of like uh, the blue dress or whatever. Um, he says, Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. Uh, I can't tell if he is offended that Jack Crawford would just send a trainee over to Hannibal Lecter or if he's like excited that he has a new plaything to like, mm. oh, you sent a completely like green person for me to like get in their head and mess with them. Fantastic. Um, when Miggs does throw his cum on uh, Starling, uh, Hannibal Lecter, of course, is offended. He would never do that. He would only, you know, accuse a man of sodomizing her as a girl. Um, but he would never do something as crude as throwing his cum on someone. Uh, so he says, uh, he gives her a hint on how she can, like, you know, uh, help crack the case. And he says, uh, go now. I don't think Miggs could manage again quite so soon, even though he is crazy. Um, <laughs> which um, always makes me laugh. Um, that was when they like he's like shouting that whole time. He I is didn't, shouting, I didn't, shouting. I didn't catch any of those. I didn't. So I just m- totally missed that line. Uh, the whole Benjamin Raspell when when Clarice finds the head in the storage facility. By the way, mm. what era of American history is that storage facility owner from? It's Would like, you say the Industrial Resol- Revolution? <laughs> he has like a Colonel Sanders uh, goatee. He's got a <laughs> derby hat on. I believe he's wearing a cape. If my eyes do not deceive me, he is like a Russian oligarch as a limo driver. I have no idea what's happening with him. It's lunacy. I feel like both that character and that storage facility have been on uh, American Pickers. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's a show I only watch in hotel rooms and I've seen it. I guarantee you. Uh, the whole the whole uh, instance with Clarice talking to um, Hannibal uh, in his darkened cell, he says uh, she's talking to him about Benjamin Raspell, the owner of the head. Um, he, uh, she says, uh, she finds him dead, and uh, he says, well, "It's the best thing for him, really. His therapy was going nowhere." Uh, and she says, uh, he, he, "You know, the wig, uh, the eyelashes. Raspell was a transvestite." Uh, and he goes, "In life, oh no, garden variety manic depressive." tedious very tedious uh which i it, tedious very tedious became like a calling call, card for me and my brother we just liked calling things tedious to this very day um 
And later she has like, Clarice gets kind of sassy with Lecter after he says something kind of vulgar at her. And she, he's like, does that bother you that I said that? And she says, no, not really. It's sort of the thing. It's the sort of thing Miggs would say. And Hannibal Lecter sort of glances at where Miggs's cell was. And he goes, not anymore. (laughs) Uh, uh, Go on now. I do like uh, that's when when she's talking to all those uh, police officers in the yeah. uh, the coroner's office. Go on now, and they just stare at her for a long time. She's like, go on. Uh, and in that same scene, there is every line that she says is in their quote. Go on now. Um, he at that same scene, there's an old man there, and he goes, just he's not even on screen when he says it, but he just hear him. He goes, a wrongful death. Uh, (laughs) um, plum island animal disease research center sounds charming uh and then he says to her don't lie or i'll know uh and then he's talking about the victims of buffalo bill was this girl big through big through the hips roomy uh and then he's talking about the lifespan of uh moth and he says the chrysalis or pupa uh (laughs) And then he, of course, <laughs> he, when he's talking to the senator, he says, oh, and senator, love the suit. <laughs> I mean, the fact that I said his, his performance is restrained, restrained sounds ludicrous based on what he says. <laughs> uh, it's everything he says. It's like some, you know, some very hyperdramatic gay kid in high school wrote it. <laughs> it's just insane. Uh, those are all my favorites, I think. Want to go to the verdict? Oh, yeah. Welcome to the verdict room. Oh, no, this is a lot more dank than I expected it to be. Closer. 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 Oh, I forgot to add to that list uh, was, wait. Was she a great big fat person? I feel with the intro, I didn't have to yeah, say that, yeah, yeah. but she was a big girl, yes, sir. <laughs> I, okay, do it Bethany's way. Go ahead, do it. One more she time. was a big girl. <laughs> ludicrous. <laughs> Absolutely ludicrous. Uh, I'm going to go first because I feel like you're going to have more valuable things to say. Um, <laughs> um, you're a child is not an idiot. This movie is great. I think there's a big issue if you know like with the with the the trans issue um it's something to know going into this if you're sensitive to that or um you know would be um upset by that but um but if you love it you're gonna love this well yeah i know i realize that sounded uh more callous than i meant i just mean if 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 you are if that if you already take issue with that then you might have a problem with this movie and might not want to rewatch it um as a thriller it's great the acting is great the it's not it's not perfect there are some you know some things are dated and there are some a little bit of ham-handed moments but generally speaking i think it's great i think the direction's great i think the casting's great the acting's great i mean anthony hopkins and jodie foster just fucking slay they're just like slay (laughs) 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 look at you do you get it because he's a i get it because of the thing um uh what do you think what's yours what's your verdict Oh yeah, this movie. I mean, this movie's great. Um, when Parasite won for best uh, best picture the other year, uh, what was that? Sixteen years ago, last year. <laughs> um, 
it was I, I think I my joke was at the when we were watching was like, oh, the best picture of the year actually won best picture of the year. <laughs> um th- that might also be. I mean, this movie took all five of the main awards, it took screenplay, it took actress, actor, even though Anthony Hopkins, I believe, is not even on screen for 15 minutes total. Yeah. Uh uh, it took um, Best Director and it took Best Picture. Mm. Um, it's really great. It's one of those moments where a lot of it shouldn't work and it does. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also a reason why the other movies just fall apart. They, I think they sort of lose the other movies, meaning the other movies in this uh, series. Uh, Anthony Hopkins series. Yeah. They just, uh, they're missing elements. They're either missing the the female element with Clarice Starling, which is why I think Red Dragon is sort of like not that interesting. Uh, or they sort of miss the sort of contained menace of uh, Hannibal Lecter. In Hannibal, he just sort of like goes all out cartoon villainy, snidely whiplash style, mm. and uh, is uh, a little too out of control because mm. he's such a ludicrous character already. He's like a super genius. He's really good at drawing. He's really good at cooking. And he's got that stupid uh, you name, know, you know, he's got a ludicrous name that rhymes with his main crime. Uh, <laughs> I feel like he's murder got like a is his ridiculous main backstory. <laughs> uh, well, cannibalism as well. I know, but no, like you ate yours, but, <laughs> but that happens after the murder usually. Right. Well, I mean, maybe our, uh, Officer Pembry didn't get that luxury. Is cannibalism on its own a crime, or would that be just assault? You know, that's a great It'd question. Be assault, right? Or like, you know, I mean, can I cut off? Well, yeah, I guess if I cut off your fingers, it's assault. Although, remember that weird story? I think we were probably in college at the time, so it might you might have to do some digging. The the German guy who like put out a an uh, a classified ad for someone for him to eat, and someone responded. No, I don't remember. And he that. ate his penis. <laughs> what? Like cooked it up like Hannibal style. Like it was like uh, a big to do. And it was, there was this weird kind of question because the guy responded to the, the ad. Like he, he wanted to die and this guy wanted to eat him. Is it a crime? But that's Germany. I don't know about in America if cannibalism is. Yeah, I'm talking about American law. Not those fucking Germans. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there would be a presumable assault charge, at least, or murder charge. We need to get uh, His Honor the Mayor back on the show. We need to talk about this. Although, wait. I mean, if I am a mother who gives birth, I can eat the placenta. That's technically cannibalism. That's not. But that's a piece of the. It's not. Right, but it is an organ. Yeah. I mean, it's the afterbirth, but it is a human organ that was part of, you know, uh, growing this baby in mm. a woman's stomach, I believe. Uh, <laughs> I remember one time I put an, a coworker who I didn't know well enough to be making the joke off by um, saying that eating your placenta afterbirth uh, was the only acceptable form of cannibalism. And I don't think he wanted to talk to me much after that. Yeah, it's a. Uh- uh, not something I want to spend a lot of time thinking about, mainly. <sighs> Missed opportunity, guys. Eat that placenta if you get a chance. Um, anyway, I mean, I, I literally have nothing else to say. I feel like I left all my cards on the table. It's yeah. a great movie. Um, 
I recommend the other movies with reservations because they are so stupid, but they're so campy that if you love an absolutely ridiculous movie set in Rome with Hannibal Lecter throwing people off of um, balconies tied to them by their own intestines, um, they're just a hoot. Um, But yeah, this movie is fantastic. Any complaints I would have about it would just be niggling complaints. It's It's a great movie. Yeah, I mean, the the issues I was kind of afraid of, like I knew about the the trans issues, but I also like the glorifying of serial killers. The I find the kind of cop genre pretty boring in general, just my taste. None of that applied. Like it was Do you don't you don't feel like it glorified serial killers? It did it did a little bit. Um I, I feel like I want to have like a, a an afternoon with Hannibal Lecter, even though I know that's stupid. That's true, to do. but I also think that um, you know there's a common trait in like psych- psychopathic killers and studying them that they are very charming and that they are they have the ability to turn that on, even though they don't necessarily connect to the emotion of it. Um, mm-hmm. And they're they know that if if I act this way, I can get people to do what I want them to do. And right. although it is like, like sort of become a, like a cliche that, um, serial killers are like, uh, evil masterminds. Right. Whereas right. typically they have lower than average IQs. Right. Right. Yeah. They're just, they can be charming, but they're not necessarily super geniuses. Yeah. And I think, I think maybe, especially if you, if you examine this in the sort of, not just the Anthony Hopkins and the other movies in the series, but, all the movies that this movie inspired, you mm-hmm. can sort of blame it for so, some more things, but in a in encapsulated in just this movie, none of that bothered me. I mean, that could just be my own like I was enjoying myself, so I forgave it for certain for a lot of things, which is like that's the power of fiction, right? Like is that <laughs> is that you're like I don't really care how, how why he left the pen in there, like he did, right. and I did I didn't know I knew that he escaped at some point just from seeing things, but I didn't know how that was going to go down, and so I was like, oh shit, like watching the movie, <laughs> not not the pen, but when he actually like obviously it's very telegraphed that he's going when he to break does out. that. Turn when that oh that is like an oh shit moment. Yeah, I mean I've seen this movie like fifty thousand times, and every time when he like handcuffs that one cop yeah, to the, yeah to his cage that's being held in what it looks like uh, Benjamin Henry Harrison's inauguration party <laughs> chamber. Um, he it's like it is always like a oh shit. There's that big ball from William Henry Harrison, like Tippecanoe and Tyler too. It's <laughs> rolling, like <laughs> rolling it down the, the main thoroughfare of town with the midget and the broom. It's a well-run campaign. It's a well-run campaign. Um, what do you think, everybody? Email us. Your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. Uh, you can call us or, or leave a voicemail or text us at 615-576-0525. Um, you can catch us on all the social medias. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, our, our friend Vincent was like, hey, am I not allowed to contact you on Facebook? I'm sorry I said that. You contact us wherever you want. I don't care. We're just like being snobs about Facebook because they're ruining the world. But otherwise they're, but otherwise they run a great, if they you're run a great social media venture and they own Instagram anyway. So we're fucking hypocrites. Don't listen to us. <laughs> Do whatever you want. We don't, we're not going to judge you. We don't, we really don't. Uh, we're just like old men who are cranky about everything. So don't worry about it. Um, we're always happy to hear from you guys. So let us know what else you want us to watch. Uh, give us your opinions, all that kind of stuff. Um, we want to thank our patrons, um, especially, are you ready? 
I am now. We want to thank our patrons, including Karen Curd, Larissa Maestro, Lindsay Nell, T. Smith. Should we do it in uh, Anthony Hopkins' voice? Why don't you do Anthony Hopkins and I'll do uh, Clarice Starling. Jeremy Powlin. Jonathan Day. Joshua Nicholson. Uh, just cause. Oh, Kevin, aren't you from Cleveland? Uh, Captain John Luke Picard. I believe Brandon Hardy was his name. Uh, his honor was a mayor, yes, sir. <laughs> Primordial burrito. That's the perfect word combination for that first. <laughs> Primordial burrito. Primordial burrito. Christine in Brooklyn. Who is the supreme ruler of this podcast? <laughs> so you have to do, you hold on, you have to do Jody, you as Jody Foster doing Damon's Australian uh, accent. Of course I will. And uh, it's going to be uh, Damon's Australian <laughs> accent. Dan McIntyre. Dramatically placed hot dog. Oh, Jacob. Jacob Grimm. Come closer. Closer. <laughs> the Zesty. The Zesty. Thank you all very much. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for helping us make the show. And, uh, and Damon is just going to uh, list all of his, uh, what in what order he would eat the organs of a human body um, if he were a cannibal as we to play us out. Well, I mean, I've already, I mean, uh, you know, I've already said placenta, least legal uh, red tape there. Sure. You yeah. know, uh, you want to start, you just want to start legal. And then- I guess I would go with appendix as well, because I feel like I'd probably get my hands on those without sure, having to sure. bother someone. Um, Why not go good, you know, good duodenum right after that, you know? <laughs> yeah, a gallbladder might be nice uh, with some like brown butter and maybe some fried sage leaves on top <laughs> uh, cooked in maybe uh, a puff pastry. Oh, yeah. Um. I think, uh, you know, I would go, I'm not a big fan of liver and onions, so I'd probably go for the heart next, mm. go for some t- a tongue sandwich would be nice, oh. um, you know, uh, with some caramelized onions on top, maybe on some rye bread, something like with a real uh, sort of a seedy, a seedy bread. Maybe like a frise frise uh, salad next to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you wanted something to lighten it yeah, up because it yeah, is yeah. a dense like a meat. Squirt of citrus. Uh, you know, I would uh, probably go with, um, uh, you know, the Rocky Mountain oysters after that. <laughs> uh, you know, they're like, you just got to pop. I don't want to die. I don't want to die knowing I had the chance and I didn't take that's take fair. The that's like fair. Be, be adventurous. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the sweet breads, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. what's that? The thalamus gland. Uh, mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. that'd be fun, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, you know, brains are underrated in terms of, I mean, you've got, yeah. you can do the monkey's brains from Indiana Jones, sure. but with humans, that might be fun. Um, it's got its own serving container. You got to love that. You know, and while you're there in the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom Lane, you can high five ball soup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm running out of organs here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're good. Do people eat kidneys? I wouldn't eat. I guess they do. People do eat kidneys, don't they? Oh, yeah. They're, sh- they're already shaped yeah, like kidney go. beans. And the rest, I feel like I would just do a stock. You know, that yeah. way you can freeze it. You have it on hand. Um, it's a good base. Perfect. For whatever you want. Good base. I, like, uh, I don't know if I'd eat the lungs, but I would certainly make bagpipes out of them. <laughs> well, yeah, if you were in a Wile E. Coyote cartoon, or more appropriately, an itchy and scratchy cartoon, <laughs> uh, there you go. Wile E. Coyote got dark. <laughs> <laughs>